You're listening to the Packernet Podcast Network. And gentlemen, welcome once again to the Packernet Podcast. I am your host and resident fanalist, as always, Ryan Schlipp. Check us out online, packernet.com. Find me on Twitter, pack underscore data. So I'm kind of in a bit of a daze. I actually saw uh, 2 o'clock in the morning for the first time in a very long time. Not that it's all that different from 3 o'clock in the morning when I usually wake up, but the fact that I was staying up that late because I was at the emergency department because my wife broke her toe for her annual broke-my-foot-need-to-drive-me-to-the-emergency-department meeting. Um, yeah, a little discombobulated at the moment. I don't know. I just don't know how to feel about my life right now. It's like I slept in because I slept till like 9 or 10, but I didn't get a lot of sleep, and I'm sick, and I just, I'm just in a bad mood, which is why, fortunately, today we're not talking about anything controversial whatsoever. And I'm going to do my best not to yell at random statistics, because I just feel like that's the kind of mood I'm in. 68% completion percentage, which should get punched in the face. Um, not a bad number. You know, stuff like that. I'm going to try to avoid that kind of hostility today. But anyways, on the uh, on the docket today, I just want to run through a couple different questions. I mentioned yesterday that I was skipping a question about quarterbacks, so I want to start with that. See how far that takes us. And because I knew this was coming up, I decided that I was going to move forward with my... Um, NFL draft positional rankings and do quarterbacks. So I have that done. I did not upload it to Patreon yet. If you would like this big gigantic list of uh, positional rankings, be sure to jump into the Patreon subscription thing. For as little as a buck a month, you can get all these um, rankings, which has a lot of behind-the-scenes statistics and grades and whatnot. And is going to be a pretty good resource for the draft. Link is in the description. What else is a thing to talk about? Facebook group, be sure to get in there. Otherwise, if you have any questions for the show or uh, are also in a rage kind of mood and want to get something off your chest, please give me a call. I could use that kind of energy. 608-501-0718. 608-501-071 as well as 8. We all have smartphones, and we all know they're pretty amazing. But they also can be amazingly distracting, especially when we're around other people. So U.S. Cellular wants us to reset our relationship with our phones by putting down our phones for five. That's right, a company that sells phones wants us to put down our phones. And to see what we find, learn more at uscellular.com forward slash built for us. All right, let's jump into it. So this question is from Nate from uh, the Wausau-ish area. He says, a few questions I'm hoping you can clear up. How soon, year-wise, do you think the Packers should start looking in the draft for a future quarterback to replace Rodgers, if at all? Would you rather see Kaiser take over and have them build a strong team around a meh quarterback? And lastly, in the upcoming draft of the Packers, could you magically have the first pick who is the best player for the team? Who would you take? Nope, that's not what it says. Hold on. Oh, if we could have the first pick, who would it be? Got it. Number one overall pick, who do you take? That's actually a pretty good question because I don't actually know the answer. I know it's one of two. Let's just start there because I don't know. I know the... the easy default answer that 99% of people are just going to jump to is Nick Bosa. And I can't super argue with that, but I just feel like if I were to pick a position that would be better... Number one, I think Quinn and Williams might be a little bit better, but I could be wrong. Number two, you have 
five guys starting all at the same time that are all, I mean, again, we're talking about putting the best 11 guys on the field. Who do you have if you draft Quinn and Williams? Preston and Zedarius on the outside, Mike Daniels, Kenny Clark, Quinn and Williams. Freakish. You get Nick Bosa, that's awesome, but we still have a third defensive lineman that is probably Dean Lowry that isn't exactly in that elite tier, and you have to take one of these guys that we just got and paid a bunch of money and put them on the bench. You don't have to. You can kick one of them inside. That solves that problem, but it's still not as ideal. Not saying that's not a reason to take the guy. I'm just trying to think of what the best possible pick is. I'm I'm going to lean toward Bosa because it just feels like if you have that potential to get a guy like Nick Bosa that has the potential to be, you know, Joey Bosa or an elite edge rusher, you just got to kind of take it. Although if Quinnen is elite, then I, it doesn't really change. My, I mean, the, the number one pass rusher in the NFL is a defensive tackle. So I, I, I don't know. There's also a question of Bosa and his ability to play outside linebacker. I don't know if I want him standing up. I don't know if I want him dropping into coverage. I'm not saying he's inept. I'm just saying he's definitely better suited to just put his hand in the dirt and rush as a 4-3 defensive end. Whereas Quinnen comes in and there's no question about anything. He comes in and he plays every snap and he dominates every single time. And it's just, there's just, there's no hesitation whatsoever. It's just hard to turn down an elite pass rusher when he's just sitting there. In other words, my, my problem is I know the right answer is Nick Bosa, but I'm probably just going to say Quinnen Williams because I'm going to overthink it and I'm going to say Quinnen Williams and I'm just going to be happy with it. And I'm not going to complain about it whatsoever because he's going to be dominant. So that's my answer. In addition, I'll add in the fact that with taking a guy like Quinn and Williams, it makes it a little easier to not have to overpay a guy like Mike Daniels. Because the fact of the matter is if Mike Daniels comes back and continues to play, putting up pressure percentage numbers like 13% like he's done the last several years, like he did even last year, the guy's just worth a massive amount of money. And how much money do we want to spend, especially since we're going to have to pay a ton of money to Kenny Clark? You mean we're going to pay like $17 million, $18, 19000000 million to Kenny Clark and then pay, what, $16 million to a 32-year-old Mike Daniels? I don't think so. So yeah, as, as unorthodox as it might be, I think in this draft, if I could have any player right now, it's probably Quinnen Williams. Although I did reach out to Quinnen Williams because he follows me on Twitter so I could message him. And I said, hey man, how would you like to be on my YouTube channel? And he didn't answer. So you know what? Change my mind, Nick Bosa, final answer kidding kind of anyways moving on to the second portion of his question in reverse order which is the same as forward order because there's three questions irrelevant information all right would i rather see kaiser take over in other words is that a potential strategy no for two reasons number one i'm not as low on kaiser as everybody else despite the fact that he was terrible because i just i want to kind of see what happens the guy's got talent in his body somewhere he got shoved too early into a terrible situation with Cleveland, came over to Green Bay in the midst of a terrible situation. Let's just see what happens. But I'll say two, no for two reasons. Number one, despite the chance that he might become something, I don't think he's ever going to be much of anything. And two, I just think the timing is off. By the time Rodgers is going to be retiring, Kaiser's kind of kind of getting up there in age, man. He's not the future of anything. I guess it's not entirely true because he's 23. So Aaron Rodgers is under contract through 2023. So in 2024, if Kaiser took over, he'd be 28, which is kind of crazy. He's a pretty young dude. He must have come in real young. So I guess it's possible, but it's still not ideal. If we even decide to hang on to Deshaun Kaiser, he would be getting his second contract in 2021. If that ends up being like a three-year contract, this 2021, 22, and 23, he'd be coming into his third contract by the time he's finally starting 
as a Green Bay Packers quarterback. So again, the timing just isn't great. Now, is it possible he's still there? I guess. It just seems, I mean, there's a lot of things that could possibly happen, and him taking over as the starting quarterback for the Green Bay Packers for the next four or five years is kind of low on the list of possibilities in my mind. I mean, if you just think about it from this standpoint, if he's not good, he's not going to make it to a second contract. If he is good, he's probably going to get traded. I mean, if he's good enough to be the starting quarterback for the Green Bay Packers, and we're still like four or five years out, just trade the guy, man. I mean, Kaiser's not going to want to be here. He's he's not getting the money he deserves. If he's a legit starting quarterback by, say, 2021 when he hits free agency, do we want to pay him starting quarterback? I mean, it's just not going to make very much sense. So it just it's not going to work. I think ideally the Packers want to groom the guy, make him a legit number two, and then hopefully have some value to be able to trade him in 2021 when Rodgers is still under contract for, you know, going to be playing for another three years for the Packers. So it's going to be a no on the second question. Now, as to the third question, um, I kind of addressed this once before, but let me be slightly more specific, I guess. I always thought it was a little bit strange that teams seem to want to wait until they don't have a quarterback, until they draft a quarterback. It just didn't really make a lot of sense. I think maybe it's just a lack of planning. Maybe it has to do with teams just wanting to focus on now and not tomorrow. I don't know. But part of me wonders if the contract does have something to do with that. I kind of talked about with that with Deshaun Kaiser, but if you think about it, if you draft a guy and say, well, we're going to let him sit for a year, two years, three years underneath, you know, Brett Favre, Eli, whoever the, the veteran is, you're kind of wasting those years of cheap quarterback talent. So there's kind of a conflict between wanting to solidify and get the guy, right? I would love for the Packers to be able to get the guy and make sure he's the guy, and if not, hey, we can kind of try again next year, but let's try to get the guy soon, just so we can make sure by the time Aaron Rodgers leaves, we have somebody in place. So between that and, you know, ideally, you draft a guy that year, and you just, you know, I mean, if you get him when he's 21, he can play for 20 years. The way things are going, I'll play until he's 41, why not? So somewhere in there is kind of the balance that needs to be struck. You don't want to wait until the very end, but you don't want to get a guy so that when it's finally his time, you already got to pay him his second contract. He hasn't even done anything yet. But effectively, let's say we drafted a guy this year. If we got him in the first round, Aaron Rodgers is going to be playing for the next five years. 2019, 2020, 2021, 2022, 2023. If we have this quarterback and exercise his fifth-year option as a first-round draft pick, he starts in 2024 on his second contract, and that's assuming Aaron Rodgers just says, okay, I'm done, which isn't a guarantee. Who's to say he doesn't continue playing well and wants to be like Tom Brady and says, I want to keep going? The other issue that I would have with it is we just paid Rodgers his monster contract. We're trying to turn a corner, and I'm not implying that you're saying we should. I'm just, I'm just explaining in general why it's too early. We're trying to turn a corner and really start to rebuild and and look as a new young team to then at the same time say, well, we're going to start looking for a new quarterback and start over. Like, wait, whoa, whoa. We are starting over with Aaron Rodgers. We're starting a brand new era today. And you're going to draft a quarterback as though this era is over? Like, we we literally just started this era. So I would say it's going to be at least two years. I think starting in 2021 is about the time when... um, when maybe you would consider it. And, you know, at that point, you, you have another group of questions going, you know, how is Aaron Rodgers doing? What, what is his trajectory? Is he slowing down? Is he saying he wants to be done? Is he 
playing at a really high level? Are things really clicking? You know, I don't know. We'll have different questions, different answers at that point in time. But that would generally be my thought process is up until that time we're drafting guys or looking for guys that are going to be backups, including Deshaun Kaiser, to be a solid number two. If in the instance that Aaron Rodgers gets hurt, you can step in and just not let this thing completely fall apart. And the good thing, again, is if, if Kaiser is that guy, and he should be, right, I, ideally we get a good quarterback, a situation where, you know, if Rodgers goes down in the postseason, he actually has the potential to carry us into the Super Bowl and possibly win it, as silly as that sounds. You know, if you can get that guy, great. And we have him under contract, on a rookie contract. A guy that was seen by a lot of people as a first-round quarterback is on our team, learning behind Aaron Rodgers. It's a pretty good situation. And we're going to have him up until that time when it's time to start looking a little more seriously at a replacement. Now, how seriously becomes kind of a bit of a question. You don't want to spend the last three years, you know, throwing in the towel looking for a quarterback, right? If we're still knocking on the door, then we have the potential to get whatever, an offensive tackle or a pass rusher or a wide receiver, whatever it is we're going to need in 2021-ish. Taking a quarterback could be a problem, but what if? I mean, I, I really can't think of a better situation, although it would be horrible, because the only way we even have a shot at this guy would be if things completely fall apart. But you look at 2021, there's one quarterback that everybody's talking about, that everybody's looking at. I was watching some other games, and I would just completely forget. But every time you're watching Clemson, occasionally there's a pass like, what was the? Oh, that's right. Trevor Lawrence is the quarterback of this team. So it's a situation where you're maybe not going all in because we got three years. Maybe he's going to want to play a little bit longer. If As long as Aaron Rodgers isn't a complete bum, in other words, you just the wheels have fallen off. We, we haven't been competitive, you know, for the last two years and then say another three years from, from now until then. Then, yeah, we got to really seriously look at, at moving on. But you, you don't just want to go get a quarterback just because if you have the potential to get somebody else. But... Let's say 2020, for whatever reason, 2020, Aaron Rodgers got hurt, some other catastrophic thing. We have a top five pick. If we have the potential to draft Trevor Lawrence in 2021, there is not a better situation on this planet. Trevor Lawrence is a freak. And I know it's kind of early, so things can change, but that's the kind of situation where the Packers would just luck into this unbelievable situation and the rest of the NFL and the rest of the fan bases, especially in the NFC North, would just say, you've got to be kidding me. They got Trevor Lawrence. But the, but the bottom line is there's way too many variables between now and then to really even plan it out, other than to say, now is not the time. Kaiser's not the guy he's, he's in too early. Drafting a guy is just, even if we end up hitting on a guy in the third round that's a freak, it's just, it's not going to work. Unless Rodgers just up and retires or something, I don't know. It's just not going to be a thing. It's just too early. But it is interesting, and, and one of the things that I've referenced a couple times that's kind of exciting is the next quarterback for the Green Bay Packers is either a college quarterback is coming into college or is in high school, but the, the bottom line is he's out there right now. We, he's, his name is out there. Scouts are already looking at him, whether he's a high school guy or a college guy. You know, if there's going to be a number three, if there's going to be another Aaron Rodgers, if there's going to be another Brett Favre, he's out there right now. I don't know, maybe I'm just weird about it. That freaks me out, man. Because it's a big deal for Packers fans. Some teams, it's like, ah, oh, quarterback, whatever. We get a new one of those every year. But for us, that's that's a big deal. I'm 32 years old. I, I pretty much only remember two. I mean, there was Mikowski. I think I've seen a couple of his games. I don't really remember. 
but it's pretty much been two in 30 years. That's crazy. It's actually going to be two in over 30 years by the time Aaron Rodgers finishes out his contract. Here's another crazy way to look at this. If the next guy takes over in 2024 and plays for 15 years, he's going to play until I'm 52 years going on 53 years old. It's kind of a big deal for me, man. (laughs) Well, I guess for all of us. That's crazy. So yeah, I I definitely understand wanting to look at it, but um, I think we got a few years. With that said, however, as I mentioned, I went through and looked at some of the quarterbacks, and as per usual, the list is a little bit wonky from what you would expect, so let's, let's take a look at a few of these guys. In the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We get all hyped up thinking we're going to get some high-value Jordan Love card, but with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now, introducing Slab Packs from ArenaClub.com, the only repack that provides real value, a complete view on all possible cards, and clear hit rates for each one. Now when I buy Slab Packs on Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. And honestly, the best thing for me and my son is the fact that we're kind of novices into this. When I walk into a card shop with my son, and a card says it costs $40, kind of just taking his word for it that that's a good value. So I appreciate the transparency on grading, as well as just getting excited about seeing what you could potentially get. Right now, you can get 10% off your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash packdaddy. Wow, that's crazy offer. 10% off a $400 slab pack. That's 40 bucks right there. Anyways, that's arenaclub.com slash packdaddy for 10% off your first purchase. All right, so first of all, as I said, um, you can have access to this list if you check out patreon.com forward slash pack underscore daddy. So same as my Twitter. Again, link is in the description. But I have got 17 quarterback prospects, and I'll just run through the list from first to last just so we have the list. And again, I may tweak this over time. Um, the, the, the crazy thing about this, as much as I look at it and say, well, I don't really like this, the problem is there's not a whole lot I can tweak that's going to change this because it's just guys are just better at stuff. So unless it's like, well, I think you know Dwayne Haskins should be higher, so I'm going to find the one thing he does better than everybody and make that you know, a ridiculous number that just doesn't make any sense just to boost him up. It just, it is what it is, man. So I'm just going to leave it. Again, minor tweaks, but I tried some pretty major tweaks and it flips like three guys. So it's pretty set in stone. Anyways, number one, not surprisingly, Kyler Murray out of Oklahoma. He, he's way above, right? So similarly, like I say, they're usually guys are pretty close together within one or two um, points of each other. Kyler Murray was 96.2. The guy in second was 90.56. So Kyler, uh, you know, the the criteria that I looked at primarily, the number one thing was the passing grade by PFF. He had the highest passing grade of anybody. It was an elite grade, one of only two guys. Will Greer was the second who had an elite passing grade. He also was far and away better as a runner. I don't weight that very heavily because I don't super care, but it does add an element to it. So I did add that in and, um, Basically, there were only three guys that were graded out as good in the running category. Easton Stick, Nick Fitzgerald, and Tyree Jackson. Kyler Murray was very good. Looking at completion percentage, Kyler Murray was second highest completion percentage of any of these quarterbacks, only behind Gardner Minshew out of Washington State. One of the things that I think is super important that not a lot of people talk about, primarily because almost nobody really tracks it unless you have PFF, but it's completion percentage when under pressure. I was actually surprised to see this. Again, so just just to give you an idea, if I start with the, I don't know, if I, if I just go about halfway down, 
and then number one, 7.65. Just to give you an idea, again, of the, the vast difference. Completion percentage went under pressure. Way above everybody else, Kyler Murray. Now, I'm sure a lot of that has to do with his escapability and all that stuff, but that's that's very, that's an important attribute, right? Because you, you, you have to incorporate that. If you have a really high completion percentage, for example, look at Jordan Tayamu out of Mississippi or Ole Miss. He actually has a relatively high completion percentage, but he has the second lowest completion percentage when under pressure. That's going to become a problem if he makes it into the NFL and gets on a team that kind of, whatever. He do, if he doesn't handle pressure very well, it's, he's not going to be a very successful quarterback. So that is really important. Kyler Murray handles it better than, I mean, a lot better than anybody else. Uh, deep pass completion percentage, I didn't weight quite as high as... Um, completion percentage under pressure it is important but um i don't know whatever kyler murray ranked fourth so even in that category where he's not top he's still top five he's still very good in it easton stick was number one drew lock number two gardner Minshew number three and then kyler murray uh relative athletic score i don't actually have kyler murray's uh he's one of the only ones i don't have but i gave him a relatively high number not the highest because i don't actually know and i don't want to give him too much credit but I gave him relatively high because he's obviously a freakish athlete. I also didn't weight it quite as high as some of the other position groups because relative athletic score, again, as much as running and things might have some impact, it's nowhere near as impactful as pretty much any position that I can think of. I mean, I defensive linemen, I care more about relative athletic score than quarterback. I mean, tight end, anything, literally anything. But I did put it on here and I did weight it. And just for uh, reference, there were four quarterbacks that did have uh, relative athletic scores in the nines. 10 obviously being perfect. Number one, Tyree Jackson, uh, pretty good athlete, super strong arm, 9.95. Easton Stick, 9.44. Drew Locke, 9.37. Nick Fitzgerald, 9.28. So as I said, just looking at this real quick, I'm going to go through the list from um, number one through number 17 in order. Kyler Murray, Drew Locke, Gardner Minshew, Will Greer, Brett Ripien, Ryan Finley, Dwayne Haskins, Trace McSorley, Jake Browning, Daniel Jones, Kyle Shermer, Easton Stick, Jordan Tayamu, Clayton Thorson, Jared Stidham, Nick Fitzgerald, and then Tyree Jackson is last. So I know a lot of these are going to throw people. Gardner Minshew, why is he so high? Dwayne Haskins is too low. I get all that. And again, if you have specific questions, you can ask. But let's, for example, look at Dwayne Haskins. Now, Dwayne Haskins is a pretty terrible athlete. But again, I weighted that very, very low. So it didn't actually have that much of an impact. If I just delete those, which I tried, it still doesn't raise him up that high. So why is he so low? Uh, so first of all, the, the number one most important thing, passing grade, Dwayne Haskins was eighth. So he's like right in the middle. Drew Locke, Easton Stick, Ryan Finley, Brett Ripien, Gardner Minshew, Will Greer, and, and Kyler Murray all were higher. If you look at completion percentage, he did do pretty well. Gardner Minshew, then Kyler Murray, then Dwayne Haskins was number three. Um, under pressure, not terrible, but he ended up uh, fifth in completion percentage under pressure. And then completion percentage on deep passes, he was uh, ninth. So he's not terrible. He's he, So here's the problem. He's basically average for the most part. He's got a couple where he's like top five. And again, it's out of 17. So if you're fifth, that's not elite. We're not talking about the NFL where it's out of 32. You're basically top third if you're top five. But for a lot of this, he's kind of in the middle. And then factor in that he's really a pretty poor athlete. He kind of just checks out as, as not being as high as, as other other quarterbacks. Now, again, I'm not claiming this is a perfect metric. There's a lot more that goes into scouting as far as actually watching them and, and anticipation and footwork and all this different stuff. That's fine. But as I'm seeing it, 
all that stuff culminates into what? It culminates into a lot of the things that I'm using here, right? It's th what I'm using is the result of what should happen if you're good at those things. So, you know, it's not perfect. It's my year one. I'm taking a stab at it. We'll see how it lines up. Um, I'm actually going to be working on uh, PFF in the private Facebook group that we have access to. Uh, somebody requested they release prior years, so I'm actually going to go back and look at prior years and try to develop a formula that's a little bit more refined to to be able to predict who's a little bit, you know, who, who you can expect to be a good quarterback or whatever the case may be. But either way, that was kind of why he ended up being where he was. Um, as far as Gardner Minshew, he just he's pretty high in most of these metrics. You know, he's not a very good runner, not very athletic, but he had one of the higher passing grades of anybody. Washington State, you know, lot of throwing the football there. Relatively big program. You know, it's not North Dakota State. His completion percentage was higher than anybody. His completion percentage when under pressure was second among anybody. And his completion percentage on deep passes was third. So his, his arm accuracy, I mean, regardless of the circumstances, right? If it's a deep ball, he's accurate. If it's a short to intermediate pass, he's accurate. If he's under pressure, he's accurate. He's just an extremely accurate and good passer. That's all there is to it. So um, Kyler Murray being a top 10 is a lock. Drew Locke being a top 10, I'm not going to say is a lock, but I do expect that to be the case. Dwayne Haskins is pretty likely to be a top 10 guy as well. I'm hoping these three guys go prior to the Packers picking at 12. Hopefully some of these other guys like Will Greer or Brett Ripien um, end up stepping up. Who knows? I don't know what exactly to expect from Gardner Minshew. I don't expect him to be taken very early, but who knows? Maybe other people are intrigued enough to take him in the second or third round because again that still is beneficial to us that's one more player that's going to fall to us in the second or fall to us in the third so the earlier and the more often that these guys go the better now finally the the kind of question to pull this all together who is a quarterback that maybe would kind of make sense for the green bay packers which is a really tough thing to to answer but i'll take a stab at it so i guess to try to narrow this down a little bit I'm going to say that I don't want to touch a quarterback until the fifth round because it's not a super big need and because we have Kaiser, who, again, I understand he's not a great quarterback right now, but it's still, it's just too much to invest. We have too many other needs, so fifth round is where I make the cutoff. Now, 140, pick 140 is the beginning of the fifth round. I have Brett Ripien uh, ranked at 139 on my big board. I figure, I was trying to figure out whether I should put him in or not, but you fig you factor in the importance of quarterbacks, and I assume he won't be there, so I'm going to take him off the list. That leaves me with Clayton Thorson, Gardner Minshew, Easton Stick, Trace McSorley, Jordan Tayamu, Kyle Shermer, Nick Fitzgerald, and Jake Browning. At this point, it's just a matter of what is it that I'm looking for. To be completely honest, if what I'm looking for is an Aaron Rodgers type, and this is, you know, only in certain categories does this fit, I think Gardner Minshew actually does make a little bit of sense. I think, you know, based on where he is on my board, he could be as late as a sixth-round prospect. You look at the height, weight, six foot one, 225 pounds, very similar relative athletic score, even though he didn't run nearly as fast and he isn't as athletic. Uh, again, the RAS was very, very similar. You look at the accuracy, and although that's debatable, because Washington State, as I've said with offensive linemen, isn't exactly pro-style. If you look at, for example, on the Draft Network, they actually trash him for his accuracy, saying, although he is extremely accurate at times. I think the system kind of bakes it in a little bit, makes it easy on him. But the more I thought about it, part of what Washington State does for him is creates these easy, open targets. They use the scheme to make sure that there is a guy at a certain part of the field that is going to be open. 
Now, I'm not necessarily going to say that Washington State's offense is where the NFL is or even where it's heading, but it does kind of parallel a little bit what modern NFL offenses are doing, trying to use scheme with things like layering or whatever to where you're going to have somebody that's going to be open, and it's just a matter of can you drive the ball to that spot. And again, I really, really like the fact that whatever he is, whether you want to say he's really good or really bad, he's pretty fearless, and he's consistent. He's consistent whether it's short passes, long passes, under pressure, no pressure. So whatever his upside is, you have some relative confidence that there aren't going to be some big roadblocks. For example, pressure. He just can't handle it. He's not going to make it in the NFL. So I don't necessarily hate that. Now again, this is coming from somebody who hasn't actually scouted any of these quarterbacks. I'm just taking the information I have and looking at it analytically as opposed to from the lens of a scout. I think if you wanted to take a flyer on somebody that's maybe a little bit more athletic, you could take a look at a guy like Easton Stick. Easton Stick might even go undrafted for all I know. But his relative athletic score, 9.44. While at the same time, although again, North Dakota State, not a very great school. Uh, his, His passing grade was fairly high. Completion percentage was fairly high. Not super good under pressure, but solid with the deep ball. So again, if, if you want to just kind of take a shot, give Packer fans something to be excited about, because he, he would be, right? If he's got a good deep ball, he's got real good athleticism, you know, he's going to get billed as Carson Wentz 2.0 or whatever kind of nonsense he's going to get labeled with. That might be the opposite end of the spectrum that's worth looking at. Otherwise, of this list, I mean, just right out of the gate, most of these guys, their passing grades overall are really low. So those are those are maybe my two options, I guess. Take a shot at Gardner Minshew around the sixth round. Otherwise, just see if you can get a guy like Easton Stick if he ends up going undrafted. Maybe take a flyer on him in the seventh round or something. Anyways, Nate Dog, hopefully I was able to answer your question sufficiently. All right, I want to get to another question that I got um, from Stagfield in beautiful Palos Verdes, California, which is hilarious because on this uh, Google Voice thing, which is awesome, whenever I get a voicemail it actually translates it for me or transcribes it, I guess. And reading that, I should just read these sometime, just verbatim. It's hilarious. But uh, instead of Stagfield, it came up with Derek, but it nailed Palos Verdes, California, which I couldn't even hear correctly on the, the recording. But these are pretty hilarious. But anyways, it was, it was a really good question, and I'm not exactly prepared to answer the question, but I want to at least... Um, I want to at least touch on it because it's something that I do want to keep track of as time goes on because I don't know that I have the information quite yet, but it is really interesting. And I could play it, but I just, I'm, I'm almost kind of weird about it at this point. I never know if people don't want, to, don't want to have it played, plus sometimes there's compliments in there and it seems like I'm being arrogant by playing it. So anyways, I'll just try to summarize. So what he had brought up was the um, idea or concept or, or reality that I had never heard of before that apparently Bill Belichick with his defense has only ever spent one first-round draft pick on an edge rusher. They also tend to let those guys walk rather than pay them big money. However, they seem to be willing to give out big money for corners, so he sort of looks at it in terms of if you were to build a hierarchical chart, which was uh, his wording, based on you know allocation of money, which, as I've talked about before, really does come down to overall value, right? You, you, you try to correlate the value of the player to the value of the money so that, you know, it, the more you pay, the more you get. It, it should correlate to the more you pay, the more you care about that position. It makes sense if you logically think it through, but we're not going to talk through that. So he was looking at it saying it seems, and it's something that I'd like to look at a little bit closer as it is, but I'll leave that alone for now. It seems as though if you look at a Bill Belichick 
uh, hierarchy as far as the defense. Corners are somewhere near the top, and then you work your way down, and, and pass rushers are actually somewhat lower. But the question then was, what would that kind of a chart look like for a Mike Pettin defense? So two things that I thought were really cool. One, I really want to look at that Bill Belichick thing. <coughs> thing. And then two, I want to actually look at but also track Mike Pettin um, as a Green Bay Packer. And I know he's he's got a long track record. You can go back to the Jets and the Bills and, and kind of look at it through there. And again, I will dig a little bit deeper, but I want to at least touch on it a little bit today because it is a really good question. The one thing, the, I guess it's probably part of the reason I want to touch on it when I'm not prepared to quite yet. The one thing that I did notice that seems unbelievably evident to me is defensive tackle is extremely high on his list. Now, I don't know exactly where it compares to edge rusher and all this other stuff, but I remember even last year with Muhammad Wilkerson thinking that was one position that wasn't really a big need, right? We, we, we wanted everything. We wanted corners real bad, and there were some big-name corners, and there were some names going out there, and there was all this stuff. But when Muhammad Wilkerson hit free agency, the Packers snapped him up in a second. He, his first interview was with the Green Bay Packers. He didn't leave with a deal, if I remember correctly. He flew somewhere else, but at like after that meeting, he was boom, signed, it was over. And I thought that was kind of interesting, because it's like, we only have a certain amount of money. We didn't have a ton last year, and we didn't have a super big need, and he didn't seem to be you know that elite of a player, but he really, really seemed to want it. Then you look at this year, it was a similar situation. They were interested in bringing back Muhammad Wilkerson. We don't know for sure if that's going to happen, probably not at this point. Then, if you remember, at the start of free agency, one of the big names that was out there was Malik Jackson. The Jacksonville Jaguars were not planning on bringing him back. He's going to be a big-money guy, talented football player. And again, we've got good defensive tackles. We have a solid defensive line. And all I'm hearing for the Packers in free agency is they want to bring back Muhammad Wilkerson. And of the two or three teams that really want to bring in Malik Jackson, the Packers are one of them. And it's it's just one of those things where it becomes very evident the desire compared to my perceived need, considering the talent we have, there's a massive disparity. I don't see defensive, I mean, I don't have a problem with taking a defensive tackle. We, we have another, you know, and technically in a 3-4 system, you need three guys, even though that's, you know, a smaller percentage than you would think. We, we have two really talented guys. Why is it such a huge need? You don't see this kind of urgency or desire seemingly with safety, even though we did go out and get a safety. We did go out and get edge rushers and all that stuff, but it, it, it just feels like Pettin really, really, really wants good defensive tackles. And it's not that surprising. We've, we see other teams doing it. And here's another interesting thought. There seems to be a trend going that way, but also remember, Mike Pettin took a year off. And when he took a year off, he took a, 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 some time to step back and monitor what's going on around the NFL. He also worked very closely with the Seattle Seahawks and their defense. So you look at some of these teams, you look at the Jacksonville Jaguars, what do they do? They stack defensive talent, and a lot of that talent, obviously they have very good corners, but a lot of that talent was their front. The Eagles are probably pioneers in this, where their front, that that defensive front is really what makes them strong. Guys like Malik Jackson, which by the way, the Eagles last year went out and got a bunch of, they already had two really good tackles, and then they got like two or three more, including Bennett, who is another edge guy. It's like they, they just have... Way too many. Then this year, they end up getting Malik Jackson. So there are certain defensive coordinators, seemingly, that really see a massive value in defensive line, particularly defensive tackles. So I don't know exactly, again, how to rank it. Maybe he just sees it as, you know, edge rusher's still a little bit higher. I, I, I don't really know. But I have a feeling 
or I get the impression that Mike Pettin really, 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 really values defensive tackles. And interestingly enough, if you look at guys like, for example, Muhammad Wilkerson, although he was a good pass rusher back in the day, the last several years, if he's good at anything at all, it's being a good run stopper. So it's not just this thing where it's like, well, we got to get these these real good penetrate pass rush guys. It's not just, well, he's just looking for interior pass rush. Well, not necessarily, right? It's not just that he's just looking for pass rushers at every position. No, he, he it's something about the position, just monsters up front. And, and here's the other thing, and I haven't mentioned this in a while. I had somewhat last year. One of the benefits of having really good, solid run defenders up front is that it takes a lot of the pressure off in other areas. Right, it's easier to play nickel defense. In other words, keep a lot of guys, smaller guys in other positions, have a smaller linebacker that's actually like a safety hybrid that's playing in coverage, a lot of extra guys playing in coverage when you got the big monsters up front that can hold it down. I think that may be a staple of this defense and something that he needs to make sure is in place. So how exactly to rank it, I'm not entirely sure, but I do believe that that is a really big key component. And let's also not forget that we did bring in somebody, um, Rodney Gunter, defensive tackle, which I never even mentioned that. So again, just continuing to bring in, look at, scour defensive tackle talent. Six foot five, three hundred and five pounds, only twenty seven years old. Just they they just won't stop. So it's something else to keep in mind as the as we go into the draft, because not a lot of people outside of Ed Oliver do people consider a potential target which, again, I hate that word, but a potential draft selection for the Packers. But it could be a very real thing, something to prepare yourself for. You know, could the Packers look at drafting a guy like Christian Wilkins at 12? Seems like a very easy no, but maybe. Again, they really, really, really like their defensive tackles. What about Dexter Lawrence? Doesn't seem like a great fit. He's more of a a genuine, monstrous nose tackle, you know, 230-ish pounds or whatever he is. But he's real big. He's a good pass rusher, fantastic against the run, would just be dominant up front, and he's pretty athletic for his size. Um, Jerry Tillery, a guy that I really like, Draymond, a little bit more of a pass rusher. It's not impossible, just a matter of how much they really, really want it. And of course, there's always the the crazy scenario in which Quinnen falls to three or four and the Packers just go up and get him, which would be the ultimate, yep, I think we can put that pretty high up on the hierarchy. You know, (laughs) the Packers really, really, really want defensive tackle talent. So again, I'd like to spend a little bit more time looking at that and keeping an eye on that as we go forward. Not just that, but also, you know, keep an eye on what Matt LaFleur likes, you know, what kind of changes we see as far as the draft and and as far as free agency and and the kinds of people we're targeting, positional needs and wants and desires. And I think it's also important to, as I said, look at it from the standpoint of um, compared to expectations. So it's not enough to just say, well, they took a tight end, so he must really like tight ends. Well, maybe it's just because we have a big need at tight end, so that's why we took a tight end. But if there's not really a need or or there seems to be more of a desire than what you would expect the desire to be, that's when you kind of look at it and go, it seems like you really like that for some reason. Like, you you just keep, you, you don't stop with that. That's how I feel about defensive tackle. Like, they make a bigger deal out of it than I feel like it should be made a deal of. So that would be the one answer to that question. Defensive tackle seems to be very high on Mike Pettin's list. And I do think that that follows. I, I Again, I didn't want to talk about the Jets or the Bills necessarily because, you know, he took that year off. He kind of refined what he believes or what he does. But I think you'll find that throughout his tenure, the guys up front really kind of set the tone in Mike Pettin's defense. So thank you for that. 
pretty good question, and it gives me a lot to think about, which I love. It's one of the reasons I like the questions, is it just kind of sets my mind off in a in a direction, and then I just run like a psychopath. I don't know how they run, but I, I picture it being wild and erratic, which would be an accurate statement. Kind of thought that would be the last question, but I only have one other question. I, I did skip over a couple, and I apologize. If you still would like me to answer it, it's just getting kind of muddled, so just send it again. I'll, I'll, I'll get to it if I can. Again, I apologize. It just... It is what it is. After this question, I think I'm caught up, so if I'm not, ask it again. But uh, we're only at about 38 minutes. we got a little bit of time here. And I am going to play this one just because I want to. So here is the question from Jacob. All right, what's up, man? This is Jacob Wood from uh, Tampa, Florida. So quick question. What do you think of little Jordan Humphrey from Texas in, like, the fourth round as the big slot? Thank you very much for your time. Have a good one, man. we got a lot of people out in the Florida region. I'm actually going to be in Florida pretty soon. Actually going to be in Tampa pretty soon. Doesn't mean anything. Anyways, (laughs) Lil Jordan. I think he'd be a great fit insofar as his name, because it's L-I-L apostrophe Jordan space Humphrey. So Jamon, Equinemius, Marquez, and Lil Jordan. I mean, that's a squad right there, man. So what I did, I'll just run through a couple different things before I give you my thoughts just watching like one game. I actually decided to go ahead and add him to my list. He wasn't on my uh, my top 10 positional list. But just for you, my friend, I threw him on here just to see how he stacked up. He came in second to last. He passed up Riley Ridley, and that's about it. So just to give a little background on that, um, obviously plays for a pretty big program, so that's not a problem. Blocking, which is pretty irrelevant, he's fine. Middle of the road as far as his yards after the catch. His yards per completion, however, were actually pretty low. 12.9 seems kind of high. But compared to everybody else, 13, 14, 15, 16, 18, and then Hakeem Butler with 19 and a half. So obviously 12.9, if he's doing that in the NFL, that's not a problem. But comparatively, not fantastic. Uh, His drop rate is also middle of the road. So he's just kind of a middle of the road guy, I guess, up to this point. His receiving grade technically was very good. But almost every single one of these guys' grades was very good, with the exception of DK Metcalf and Riley Ridley, who both graded out as good. Andy Isabella was the only elite prospect in the group. Every other wide receiver was in the very good category. So again, middle of the road. Um, The biggest differentiator, so basically this is the story. He's mediocre, and then in a couple categories, he's really bad. His relative athletic score was 3.5. That was the lowest of any wide receiver, and by kind of a lot. Um, You've got Calvin Harmon with a 4.93, Riley Ridley with a 4.48. Those two are very low. Then you drop all the way down here to little Jordan Humphrey at 3.5. So to give a little background on his particulars, um, he ran a 4.75, which is ridiculous. <laughs> I mean, he's six foot four, 210, which 6'4 is tall. 210 for 6'4 is not that big, so that's also going to hurt his relative athletic score, I would think, because he's not super big. But being 6'4 is one attribute. 47540 is just really slow. 13 bench press reps, not super important, but still kind of a lowish number. Um, his broad jump, 119, pretty average. His three cone was a 709, which is really slow. Um, relatively average short shuttle. So again, it's, you look at some things and it's like, okay, he's tall. Um, he's slow. So it's, it's either he's average or he's kind of below average. The only thing that I've seen this entire time that he's above average in is his height. And kind of relative to that, or in that same vein, he's got sort of long arms. 32 and 3 quarters is longer than you would expect. Probably not super long for a 6'4 guy, but compared to an average, yes, that's my family melting down. Nobody slept last night, so it's it's a nightmare. 
So just based on numbers, not super great. Now his statistics aren't bad. 71.7 catch percentage, 1,076 yards, nine touchdowns isn't bad, although six drops, probably a little more than you'd like. So I guess it just kind of depends how badly the Packers want it. If you want a starting slot receiver to fill the void that Randall Cobb left and you wait until you get to little Jordan Humphrey, that's taking a pretty big risk. He could be a stud, very possibly. You know, again, his receiving grade was actually relatively high, not in comparison to a lot of these other guys, but it was still graded out as very good. And it was a pretty big jump, actually. If you look at his his last two seasons, 63.2 is average, 61.9 is average, and he launches up to 83.6. So he took a pretty big step this last year as far as his ability to be a receiver. I, I think the biggest problem, though, is that a lot of this other stuff is not really teachable. He's not a very good athlete, not super limber, not super fast. He's not going to beat anyone. He's not going to be a deep threat. He really just has to refine himself as being a really smart football player that's able to be a really good route runner, which is tough when you have a three-cone time of 7.09 or whatever, right? Again, not super limber. Now, I will say, I like watching him a lot more than I like talking about, you know, the things we just talked about. I'm actually kind of surprised at some of those numbers. He looks a little quicker than 4.7. So I don't know. I mean, the, the biggest problem looking at him is that he looks scrawny, which he is. When you're six foot four, 210 pounds, you'd want to add a little bit of mass to you. The problem is if you're already kind of slow and lacking agility, I don't think you can put much more weight on without losing some of that, whatever little you have left. So I don't know. I, I personally like him. I enjoy watching him. Seems to have pretty good body control. He's a go up and get it guy. I wouldn't necessarily have a problem with it, but I, I'm, I'm going to lean a little bit more on the numbers as opposed to my ability to scout talent, which is not very high. But I will say, having zero expectations, I watched him and said, no, he, he looks he looks legit, man. So yeah, I'm going to put him on my good list. I expect him to fall. Well, I don't know. I don't even know where he's supposed to get drafted. I got him at 117. So maybe fourth-ish round. I, I would actually bet he goes later than the fourth, which would make sense that the Packers would get him then. Because he's going to slot, people are going to say he's like a third or fourth round guy. He's going to fall all the way to the sixth. The Packers are going to get him. They're going to say he's a steal, basically just like Equinemius was. Really tall, good football player, going to be in the slot. And then the name lines up. It's, it's just, it's destiny. I think that's a good call. Little Jordan Humphrey's going to be a Packer. We're going to get him probably in the sixth round. So our, <laughs> our sixth round is going to be Garner Minshew and Little Jordan Humphrey. So we got two of our picks figured out today. We made a lot of progress. We did good work today. But anyways, I'm going to be done for today. I actually think tomorrow would be really cool. Maybe I'll start working on it today. I want to work on defensive tackle. I don't have that done yet. I want to get my defensive tackle list going. Maybe look at some of the prospects. Because as I said, as uh, the, the as it seems to be anyways, uh, the Green Bay Packers and Mike Pettin are really wanting to solidify that front. So I think that's what we'll plan on for tomorrow. We'll see what happens. Otherwise, you folks enjoy your Saturday. I will talk to you tomorrow. Have a good one. Bye-bye.